It's Thursday, August 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and Strategy Week concludes with Tim Hansen. Thanks for being here. It's kind of like Shark Week, only it, better. <laughs> the, I appreciate that. I like the optimism. I like being the headliner too on Strategy Week. This I is didn't not. Know that. This is not. Uh, <laughs> this is not better than Shark Week. <laughs> What's better than Shark Week? Nothing. Um, but uh, because you're here, of course, longtime listeners know we're going to talk about international investing, um, and and there are a bunch of things I want to get to. But let's just start with. Uh, the majority of our audience, which is based in North America, if I'm an investor in the U.S. or Canada, where should I be looking right now? If I'm thinking, I want, yes, I may have some uh, companies I own that have international exposure, but I want to do something that's a little bit more pure play. You know, once upon a time, it was all about India. After that, it was all about China. Where, where should I be looking now? Well, if you if you have hardened nerves at this point, I mean, it's been well. We're going to get to that in a second. It's been uh, it's been a multi-year, very poor multi-year run for for global markets, and generally speaking, from here, it looks like it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, you know, a lot of the emerging markets, in particular, Russia, um, Latin America, uh, tied to a commodity pricing environment that has become very unfavorable at a time when we expect potentially U.S. interest rates to rise, which is sort of a double whammy for them. And then you throw on some of the instability in the world, and investors have been running out of those markets, uh, the dollar strengthening. Um, so, if you're, if you're the type of person who wants to use your strong dollar to go invest for the very long term in some out-of-favor places, there are a lot of opportunities right now. I mean, you know, I think, I think the, the approach would not be to pick one, but would be to pick a basket and say, you know what? Looking at the demographics and the and the sheer numbers, I would say, you know, just a little bit of exposure in Brazil, a little bit of exposure in China, a little bit of exposure in India, a little bit of exposure in Peru, Mexico. You know, there are worse things to do right now. Last week, um, although I could have said that five years ago, and <laughs> lost you all some money. Um, uh, last week on the Motley Fool Money Radio Show, our lead story was about what was happening in the U.S. market. Um, but last week, you look at Shanghai down eleven percent, Germany. Down more than six percent. Uh, the Nikkei down more than five percent. To sort of dovetail of what you just said, it is now even the time to be looking. Should, like, should we? Yeah, I mean, should we be sitting on the sidelines and checking back again, maybe at the end of the year, and see what the prospects are for 2016 before anyone interested in the types of markets you just mentioned really jumps in? No, I think. I mean, it's absolutely the time to be looking. Um, you know. Our good friend Morgan Housel says, you know, nobody rings a bell at the top, nobody rings a bell at the bottom. So you don't you don't know. You just have to invest for the very long term and have the right mindset to say, I, I know what I'm going into. It's going to be volatile, but um, it's days when entire markets are dropping by six, seven percent, as has been happening in China, where you know there's going to be opportunity. I mean, it's, that's not to say there aren't real problems in China. There are. I mean, it's it's a bit of a mess over there. I mean, if you're among the China watchers who believes that Chinese macroeconomic data is directionally accurate, right? But probably it's never as good as they say it is, or it's probably worse than they when it's bad. It's worse than they they say. You know, they're allowing their currency to weaken. They're trying to get back on the export growth engine when they had been trying to do internal consumption. Um, there are a lot of issues, but you know, like I said, there are you know there are good companies in China. You look at something like like Tencent, which is um, you know trades as an ADR in the United States, but that's a global tech behemoth. I mean, it's up there with um, 
you know, with with the likes of Facebook in, in, in terms of its integration into Chinese society, all the things, that, all the places, all the fink pies it has its fingers in. Um, you know, those are the types of things when there's just indiscriminate selling in a market, and you say that company is better than that market. That that, that to me is opportunity. It doesn't mean it's not going to go down more, but nobody's going to ring a bell and tell you when it's safe. When looking at other countries, should should a good starting point for someone um, in the U.S. or Canada be looking at industries that they're already invested in? So, if you've done well with restaurant stocks in the U.S., should you be looking at restaurant operators in other countries? You know, we hear you know Baidu is mentioned as the Google of China, Mercado Libre, the eBay of Latin America. Should you be looking at sort of similar types of businesses that are already in your portfolio, or should you be looking at where the strength is, regardless of industry? I mean, I think if you're if you're competent in analyzing a certain sector of the United States, generally speaking, those capabilities will rhyme with what you need to do outside the United States. So if you can analyze the heck out of Google, you'll certainly have a leg up when it comes to um, looking at Baidu because they use all the same metrics like cost per click and so on and so forth. Um, you know, but when you look abroad, I mean, generally speaking, if you're going abroad, you're probably looking for diversification, and so it would make sense to. Um, to think, you know, you don't you don't want to end up with a portfolio entirely of tech stocks. Obviously, you don't want to also buy something you don't know anything about. So you can use an ETF or a fund or something along those lines to get exposure. You know, the other thing to do is just, um, you know, to go in with <clears throat> with your eyes open and and look at what country, what market you're looking at. You know, and and if you look at, you know, Russia, the big companies are all going to be banks and energy. Producers, um, there are some dynamic retailers and things in there, and so you want to search through the market to see where the opportunities are. I would say, broadly speaking, you want to invest where these markets are going, not where they're coming from. So, for Russia, for example, you know, obviously, where it's coming from is a, is a massive oil producer. Um, if you're excited about Russia, I probably wouldn't look at the oil producers. You know, it's heavily government regulated or controlled. Still too Putiny. Still too Putiny. <laughs> um, you know, but you, you know, the consumer classes in a lot of these countries are growing. The technology classes, healthcare, those are the forward-looking sectors for me in a lot of those markets. And so I'd look at that because, you know, you obviously want to make investment in a good company, but you want that company to be in a good industry, and you want that industry to be in a good favorable market. And if you can get all three of those factors working together, particularly outside the United States, that's where I think you have the opportunity for outperformance. Uh, one of the narratives over the last couple of years with respect to the rise of the U.S. market has been institutional money, which obviously individual investors like you and me, we we have no control over that. But part of the rise- Like you. <laughs> has been- Do you, do you, have, an, do you have an institutional <laughs> said, account that you're running? I've said too much. Um, but, but part of it has been institutional money looking around the world- over the last couple of years, and just saying, you know what, the U.S. market is significantly better than any other opportunity. So even though it's already risen, it's not being that I'm going to put my money into that. Um, when we have a bear market here, to what extent do you expect that money is going to start flowing out of the U.S. institutionally? Out of the U.S. and you know, is that something for investors to look at? Well, if you know, if we start seeing stories about institutional money being pulled out of the U.S. market and plowing into Germany or plowing into Peru, it's a good question. I mean, interest rates are a big factor here. So, uh, you know, sophisticated institutions or maybe unsophisticated institutions look around and they they think hard about risk-adjusted return. You know, and but due to the interest rate environment in the United States, um, 
there were some crazy things happening out there. I think like a, I'll get this directionally correct, but maybe not perfect. But I think ten year, ten year Bolivian sovereign debt was carrying at one point like a five point two five percent interest rate, which is just that's crazy. <laughs> you know, I, that's that's almost you know you, you think back a few years and there were tier you know triple A rated corporates in the United States with with higher interest rates than that. Um, so I think at some point interest rates got so low, the institution didn't become worth the time to go out into the world. But you know, low interest rates in the United States were also important because it forced people who were seeking yield to fund some of these emerging market countries. And having a low cost of capital in these places turned out to be very beneficial. You know, there was a Coke bottler in Peru that raised debt at six or seven percent, which you know they're going to raise all the debt they can at six or seven percent because they never may never get that opportunity again. But you know, we may or may not have a bear market in the United States. But if interest rates in the United States go up, now all of a sudden, um, if I can get three three and a half percent in a in a treasury bond that's risk free, you can imagine what that's going to do for Bolivian sovereign debt, right? It's not right. going to be at five anymore. It's going to be at fifteen, sixteen, something like that, um, and that would be a very bad thing to cut off the capital flow into those into those emerging markets. Because one of the destabilizing factors in a lot of those places is that quote unquote sophisticated institutions actually aren't that sophisticated and they pour in and then they dive out and they pour in and they dive out and there's nothing worth for trying to invest for the long term than having really volatile capital flows. So that's a big risk for the emerging markets um, and for the world as they contemplate a rising US interest rate environment. I want to get to information sources in a second, but I would be remiss um, if I did not get your take on what is happening with Greece. And as of this taping right now, the big story in Greece is that the prime minister, who's been prime minister for about an hour and a half, resigned? <laughs> and uh, I mean, is is this is a bleak question? But is there any hope for true political leadership in that country right now? Because this was someone who came in seemingly with a mandate, wasn't going to go along with the austerity measures. Then sort of looked at the situation and said, "You know what we need? Uh, we need some austerity measures." And then just decided, "Well, you know what? I'm not. I'm not the man for the job anymore." Well, it's going to come down. You know, there are no easy or potentially good actions or decisions to make in this scenario. Um, you can stay in the euro, and that comes with a whole host of really hard consequences. Or you can decide to leave the euro, and I and I think. You know what the government that had been elected in Greece had been thinking was, look, you know, we'll leave the euro, and uh, if we do, it's going to hurt the euro more than it hurts us, and we'll get our own currency, and we can devalue, and so on and so forth. And at some point, they looked at the vacuum of leaving the euro and didn't potentially really know what to do. Like, what would that have done to their economy? Um, and I think people are—they're unwilling to. So far, people are unwilling to take that risk of leaving the euro, which means if you're in the euro. Now you have to, to to do all these other things. So if you take that option off the table, you know there is no easy decision to make. And you know, is there hope for the country? I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, this is this is a, a fiscal problem. So it's not it's not like Greek Greece is overtaken by a zombie apocalypse or falling into the ocean or so on and so forth. So, I mean, it has dire consequences. But um, you know, it, it's going to take a lot of hard work and probably some severe on the downside economic years to, to for them if they choose to stay in the euro um, to get right sized 
But again, if they leave the Euro, I mean, all bets are off. Who knows what that looks like? Last question, and then I'll let you go. For someone who is looking for... Um, yeah, I was on my way to buy mojito ingredients. Yeah. I was like, hey, you got to come do this thing for me. <laughs> By all means, we'll wrap this up so you can get some <laughs> mojito ingredients. Um, for people who are looking for information uh, and thinking, you know, I mean, if, if you're a U.S. investor, there's no shortage of places to get information on stock research, on businesses, um, you know, everything from the Wall Street Journal to Twitter to, you know, uh, Yahoo Finance, Market Watch, The Motley Fool, etc. Uh, for people who are looking, uh, want to get a good source in maybe one or two other countries, what would you recommend? Whether it's follow this person on Twitter because they're, they're really tied into uh, business communities outside North America, or it could be just uh, news uh, organizations themselves. Oh, I try. I mean, this is actually, I got this question from um, a gal in high school who just wanted like a general advice. And I, and I think this is good international investing advice, and it's just good advice generally. Um, just read a, a different non US paper every day, different local non US paper. You know, pick up the Jakarta Globe one day, you know. Read the Australian Financial Review the next day, um, Latin American Herald Tribune, you know, so on and so forth. Just gives you a very different perspective on what's important, what's going on around the world, and that perspective is ultimately really what, really what matters. A reminder that we are off next week, uh, so please take this as an opportunity to check out uh, some of the other Motley Fool podcasts. Have uh, a mojito. Have a mojito and listen <laughs> to Industry Focus. Have another mojito. Listen to Rule Breaker Investing with David Gardner. You know what? You deserve it. It's been a long (laughs) summer. Have yourself a third mojito and take in a brand new episode of Motley Fool Answers or Motley Fool Money. But uh, a reminder that the market is closed on Labor Day, which is Monday, September 7th. So Market Foolery will return on Tuesday the 8th. Tim Hansen, by all means. Get yourself some ingredients, and thanks for being here. Thank you, sir. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you on Tuesday the 8th.